Welcome to the Hearts Entwined podcast. In this podcast, we'll be having discussions around the secrets which attract lasting, healthy, fulfilling relationships, creating a healthy mindset, and what women should know and understand about men. Introducing your host, Lynn Smith, the Queen of Hearts, relationship expert, trainer, speaker, and best-selling author of The Cupid's Bow Technique. Lynn's mission is to have a positive impact in reducing divorce, domestic violence, and suicide. Welcome to the Hearts Entwined podcast. This is your host, Lynn Smith, the Queen of Hearts. And today, listeners, I've got a really, really exciting guest for you. Her name is Laura Doyle. She is a New York Times bestselling author, a relationship intimacy skills coach, and she's somebody that is also a friend of mine who I met probably about 10 years ago now and who I did training with and who I really respect and admire, and I've got a lot to thank her for, for the skills that I now own and have implemented today. So welcome, Laura. Thank you, Lynn. It's great to be here. Great to see you again. Fantastic to see you, and it's really lovely to be connected with you again. So in today's episode, we're going to be talking about Laura's um, principles around what she designed for her own life and her own marriage. But before we get into that, I wanted to ask you, Laura, for the benefit of our audience, how did you actually get into being a relationship expert yourself? I was by accident. I I was a newlywed uh, just a few years into my marriage when uh, things unfortunately started to go very badly in my marriage. It was... uh, I was very lonely. And I I had this idea that I was going to help my husband be more ambitious. I was going to show him how to be tidier and also teach him how he could be more romantic. Just give him some tips on that. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) unfortunately, that wasn't working very well at all. In fact, he was just uh, avoiding me. He would be very distant. Yeah. Yeah. Surprise. (laughs) I know. I know. I know. I'm in the future too now. So, but uh, yeah, we, I remember just being so heartbroken. He, he would rather watch a rerun on TV than to spend time with me or even make love to me. And I was um, very discouraged that I'd made a mistake and married the wrong man, but I knew what to do. I thought, well, I'm just going to take him to uh, marriage counseling and then the counselor will fix him. And then I can <laughs> finally be happy because that's how it works. Uh, yeah. Of course, yeah, yeah, it didn't work. It didn't work at all. I, I was on the counselor's gray couch when I remember thinking, this is never going to work. He's never going to change. And I'm either going to have to get divorced or spend the rest of my life in a lonely, uh, loveless marriage. So I decided I would get divorced. And there was just one problem that I was too embarrassed to get divorced. Um, so as a last ditch effort, I decided to ask women who had happy marriages what their secrets were. And I thought they were going to say, oh, you have to marry the right person. But they didn't say that. (laughs) They said other things that made no sense to me. Uh, But I was desperate enough to try these experiments in my marriage because I had either wall-to-wall hostility or we had these cold wars at my house where there was no talking for days, very tense. And so uh, I started these experiments and it was really not that long afterwards that um, I just remember I came through the door and my husband's face lit up. He was happy to see me again. And that had been gone. So I thought, okay, this is, I'm onto something here. And uh, I was very excited, very hopeful that I would now be able to, to fix my marriage, to make it last, to make it thrive. 
because uh, I, I felt so empowered by these um, ideas. Uh, but there was a problem in that I was having trouble being consistent with the new ideas. They weren't that hard to do. They were just new. And uh, I remember we were driving in the car and we had this huge, awful fight again, um, where I was saying horrible things, embarrassing things. And he was saying horrible things right back to me. And I had been so hopeful that wasn't going to happen again. And then it did. Mm. Oh. So I had this idea okay, I'm going to recruit my girlfriends to do this with me because I need some accountability. I need some structure. And so I did. I got uh, four girlfriends and we met in my living room and we all focused on these practices that I'd learned from these women. And we saw miracles. One woman said her husband won the sales contest at work and took her on the most romantic getaway of their lives. And yeah. (laughs) And uh, this, another one said, well, it's not going to sound like a big thing, but it is a big thing. He got up and painted the family room and we've been fighting about that for months. <laughs> so we knew, we knew we were onto something. And then uh, one of the women said, can you write down what we're doing for my cousin who lives uh, across the country? And I said, sure, I'll do that. And uh, that became my first book, which was uh, published in 19 languages in 30 countries, became a New York Times bestseller. And we're actually celebrating the 20th year of uh, empowering women to be ridiculously happy wives. Now, wow. so tens of thousands of women have used this, these methods uh, with great success. Congratulations, Laura. That's brilliant. Thank you. Okay, so um, I know when I did my training with you, they the intimacy skills that you taught were based on six principles uh, is that still the case yes yes of course yeah we still have the six intimacy skills uh are the foundation of the uh transformations that uh we see women having in their marriage and uh none of them is very complicated you know they're all they're all quite simple really uh but they take a little bit of focus a little bit of effort to implement and then they um kind of become a way of life. I think uh, it's interesting, you know, it it definitely, I definitely started doing them so that I could get my husband to uh, behave better, right? It's (laughs) kind of a manipulation. And um, he does behave a lot better now. (laughs) But but the joke was on me. The joke was on me because it was up to me to show up with some of the qualities that, um, that I was able to cultivate through uh, practicing these very specific, very practical skills. So just doing um, some uh, some things every day, uh, a little bit at a time, uh, that were actually quite beneficial to me, uh, to my mood, to my uh, to my energy levels, to my goals in life, to my happiness, uh, and then that in turn uh, made him respond to me so much better. So let's just. Um... Just in this particular episode, because I'd love to invite you back on again, and I know there's so much information contained around the skills that you're actually going to be mentioning, uh, that, you know, it's, it's just going to be too much to try and delve deep into on this one particular episode. But if you could just give um, a heading around all those six skills, and then perhaps we can just draw down on one of them in this particular episode and then cover the others another time. Sure, absolutely. So the first most uh indispensable skill is to um, really replenish your spirit, to make yourself happy. And there's a very specific formula for doing that. And it's to do three things a day, every day that bring you joy, that delight you, that fill you up. 
And uh, it sounds uh, easy enough, but it's interesting to see, it was for me also, that when a lot of students arrive uh, at our campus, they actually haven't thought about that in so long. What does make me happy? What does fill me up? I know I'm a, uh, I'm a wife, I'm a mom, I have a job, uh, so therefore I have to focus on these things, that those are the priorities. And, uh, and then they've, by the end of the day, of course, there's nothing left for her. And so one of the ways we start this out is by asking, uh, asking the students to make a list of at least 20 things that might uh, fill that bill, right? Might be, uh, might be that it's stand-up paddleboarding. It might just be a nap. Maybe she's sleep-deprived with a, uh, a new baby or just, you know, life gets busy sometimes. It could be, I know for me, uh, I love to play volleyball, so that's on my list, or just a cup of tea at the bookstore. Um, I love chatting with my, my sisters and my girlfriends. Uh, so, so each list is going to be very specific to her. I always, uh, you know, I always, as a quiz, I'll say, uh, you know, does yoga belong on your self-care list, right? It's a trick question because I don't like yoga. Yoga's never done it for me. They don't keep score. <laughs> How do you know if you're doing it better than everyone else, right? <laughs> so I'm not interested, but for someone, you know, lots of women do find yoga to be very fulfilling. So this is, this is the step one is to do those three things every day so that you're showing up to your relationship where maybe you've been a little haggard or, or even desperate. Um, now you can show up um, smiling and happy because it turns out only happy people have happy relationships. Absolutely. And hurt people hurt people. <laughs> yes, exactly. And sometimes it can be, yeah, it can be very discouraging to be sort of waiting for it to be your turn uh, to get what you want. And then mm. that's never happening. And so, um, but the solution is to, you know, really kind of focus on that and give it to yourself first. Absolutely. So the, the, you, the first area sort of in a nutshell then is around self-care so yes. what's the second area laura yes the second area is um to uh, give up the habit of being too helpful uh which unfortunately i was remember i was helping i was going to help him uh be more ambitious and tidier and more romantic <laughs> so and we see this quite a bit where um you know especially uh those of us uh, you know we're very competent at work we know a lot of things uh, uh, so I'll give you an example of this. For example, uh, one of my students, Kathy Murray, uh, was a CFO of a large private school. So she managed, you know, millions of dollars. And uh, so at home, she was trying to help her husband also, you know, manage the financial decisions and, and other things around the house. And her marriage was in a very bad way. They'd been sleeping in separate beds for six months. And uh, it was her second, her second marriage and his as well. And it really looked like they were on the brink of divorce as well. So she got this information about uh, how to stop being too helpful. And she thought, what do I have to lose? So she decided to use one of the cheat phrases that we lean on here. Um, and uh, so, so he said to her, um, you need to tell me what you want me to do with the cell phone plan. <clears throat> and uh, she decided to use this phrase. She just turned to him and said, well, whatever you think. And he was like, what? wait a minute, this is not how we operate. You always tell me what to do. And then I try to do it so that you won't get mad at me later. So he goes, no, no, I need you to tell me, you know, what you want me to do. And she just repeated it. She said, whatever you think. And then she added, I trust you. And see, that had been the key piece that was missing, right? She'd before been micromanaging and he knew on some level that she didn't trust him. She didn't think he was capable or competent. 
But this time she, she stuck with this, whatever you think, I trust you. So he went away, made the decision about the cell phone plan, and she was worried that he would mess it up, but uh, he did fine. And then that night he, he came to her and he said, you know, you were so nice today. And tears just started flowing down her cheeks and they slept in the same bed that very night. Wow. Because uh, she knew she was onto something, right? She'd been going to counseling uh, every week by herself to complain about her husband, Doug for an hour a week. And by the way, no one ever got happier by complaining about your spouse no. for an hour a week. It always seems like it's going to work, but, but it never does. Uh, and that was the beginning. That was uh, almost 20 years ago. And uh, she still gets tears in her eyes today when she talks about how wonderful her marriage is and how, how what a shame it would have been to throw out this man who's the love of her life today. Isn't it interesting how, you know, when relationships aren't in the best you know, version of what we know they could potentially be, uh, we start pointing the finger of blame at our partner rather than looking at ourselves and seeing how we're contributing to that situation. Yeah, that was the trap I fell into very much. And I think it is a common one. Um, it's a very painful moment when you start to look at your own side of the street and uh, realize there's a few things that could be improved about it actually but it's also such an empowering moment because you realize oh i'm not no longer a victim i can begin to create the kind of relationship i've always really wanted to have and there's and, and there's no harm in sort of knowing that um you know there's no there's, you don't need to sort of beat yourself up because obviously we don't know what we don't know until we do <laughs> yeah that's exactly right um, and when we know better, we do better, but we all did the best we could uh, with what we knew. And there is so much uh, misinformation out in the world, terrible relationship advice. And on my, on my podcast, I give out the worst relationship advice of the week award every week, and I'm never low on material. <laughs> so there's, there's lots of, lots of uh, things that are passed off as conventional wisdom or truths that uh actually very harmful to the intimacy and connection absolutely so moving on then to sort of light as i say lightly cover the six areas um yes. that you cover in your best-selling book which i will say is a new york times bestseller again which is massively massively all credit full congratulations to you uh, on that achievement um yeah but what's the third intimacy skill that you cover? The third intimacy skill is about um, restoring respect in your marriage. And uh, on this one, uh, you know, we, I think we've all heard, I know growing up, I heard many times that, uh, you know, men need to feel respected. And, uh, and of course, as a, a feminist, uh, and, you know, well-educated person I wanted to be respected also and um, I, I thought of course I'm respectful of my husband uh, except for the way he drives and the way he dresses and uh, you know, he doesn't <laughs> eat very well and <laughs> so obviously I didn't really have a clue about what it meant to be respectful and I was very surprised to find out uh, the things that uh, seem respectful to men that uh, as a woman I uh, kind of had a different impression so so we have several cheat phrases also around this skill. And one of them is uh, incredibly hard to say the first time. And then once you say it the first time and you get the results, uh, 
it's it just becomes a, a wonderful thing. Uh, I'll give you an example of it. So my husband and I, uh, even after all these years, of course, I'm not perfect with these intimacy skills. My husband and I were out to dinner one time to a very, uh, you know, it was kind of a hot Saturday night restaurant that was a swanky place that was, you know, the waiters are flying and there's everyone's laughing at the bar and we're having a nice conversation. And uh, in the middle of the conversation, I said something critical about what he was doing at work, but I didn't realize it. I was criticizing a client of his, but I was trying to control what he was doing uh, kind of, you know, underhandedly. And uh, all of a sudden it felt like the music stopped, the laughter stopped, the waiters stopped, everything stopped. And my husband got this look on his face, like, you know, and, and I, I thought, oh my gosh, have I, have I just been disrespectful? Cause this is a clue, right. That I'm getting this bad reaction <laughs> from my, my husband mirror, I suppose. And so I said, oh, Oh, was that disrespectful? And he goes, yeah. And I was like, I wasn't quite ready to be accountable yet, you know? So then I said, oh, oh, I, I apologize for being disrespectful. This is the cheat phrase. I apologize for being disrespectful when I criticized your client just now. And all of a sudden, you know, everything lightened up again. The music started, the laughter started, the waiters were flying and, you know, it felt like it anyway. And my husband's face just relaxed and our good time was back. So instead of this whole night going south and turning into some kind of an argument where we would have gone home, but, you know, like this, uh, you know, kind of upset with each other, uh, I was able to restore uh, our good, our good times right away. And uh, it's true that I really, I would rather be a respectful person, uh, but I just didn't know how to do that. And having that cheat phrase and some of the others that we, uh, we use has been so empowering in that regard, because of course, that's, that's how I want to be. I want to be a respectful wife. Absolutely. And isn't it more important, you know, when we are speaking to our clients around this particular subject that we emphasize, well, would you rather maintain the intimacy or would you rather, you know, be stubborn and dig your heels in and try and prove you're right? (laughs) Right. That's right. And, you know, we all married our husbands because we thought they were smart and capable and competent, wonderful and then uh, I think that sometimes familiarity really does breed contempt, but it's, it's so valuable to get back to that spot where you're seeing uh, his good, capable qualities and really focusing on that because what you focus on increases. Absolutely. And I, I you know, I am absolutely 100% sure, you know, that contempt, you know, once that creeps into a relationship is the biggest thing that actually causes separations and divorces ultimately, isn't it? Once we start showing contempt, you know, whether it's from one party or from, from both parties, um, unless you address it and realize what's going on, it's a downward spiral from that point, isn't it? Yeah, it sure is. But it can be, <laughs> pardon me, <laughs> it can be reversed. It can certainly be reversed so quickly. And uh, I think that was one of the magical things about this process of discovering the intimacy skills was just how quickly you could, um, I could write my own ship. Great stuff. I love to hear stories like that. And so the fourth intimacy skill, Laura. Yes, it's receiving, receiving. So this is actually the essence of femininity is receiving graciously. And what I mean by that is, uh, and this is a, a kind of a, call it a strategy, if you will, for how to receive more compliments, help, gifts, special treatment, and apologies even. Uh, And it kind of goes back to uh, the idea that if someone uh, 
offers a, a compliment, uh, you can either smile and say thank you and be gracious, or uh, you can do what I used to do, which is say, you know, like, oh, gosh, your hair looks beautiful. Oh, no, no, I didn't wash it. You know, actually, it's a mess, right? And you kind of argue with them or someone uh, gets you a present unexpectedly and you say, oh, you didn't, you didn't have to do that. You don't have to, you don't have to get me anything. Don't, don't get me anything, right? There's a kind of a rejection that goes on and it really does, uh, whether it's your husband or uh, a friend or, you know, a relative, it really does spoil the connection when you, um, when you turn those kinds of things down. Uh, and so uh, one of the things that we do on our campus is practice the art of receiving graciously by just uh, saying thank you. And uh, I'll tell you one of the exercises we've done with this that's kind of fun is uh, we've had a Cherish for Life weekends, which were live events prior to the pandemic. We haven't had one in a while now, but, uh, and I would give everyone the little bracelets, about 10 little bracelets, little plastic bracelets for the weekend. And the job was to, uh, gather more bracelets. Every time you gave, you received a compliment graciously, you would get another bracelet. And every time you didn't, you would lose a bracelet. Someone else could, could ping you and say, ah, 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 you, you just rejected that compliment or whatever. And then you would lose it. And the person with the most bracelets would uh, win a prize for being the best receiver of the weekend. And it was so interesting. It's so challenging as women, we've been taught to be modest and deflect that attention. Uh, but really in some ways we're um, passing up a chance to have that connection and that intimacy with whoever's trying to give us uh, the gift, the compliment, the help, you know, can I stay after the party and help you clean up? Oh, no, no, I've got that. Right. And so you're mm -hmm. missing a chance to kind of have a splash fest uh, with the dishes, the dirty dishes after, after the party. Yeah. So, so true. Uh, we're, we're pretty bad, aren't we? And uh, I think it's probably down to, you know, watching our parents as well as obviously being educated, not to, um, like you say, receive compliments because as women, we've been taught to be a bit modest and uh, bat them away and dismiss them. But isn't it awful to then uh, think back and realise that actually you're not honouring the gift that you're being given by the person giving you that compliment? Yes, exactly. So going on then to the sixth intimacy skill then, Laura. Um, yes, it's uh, the skill of gratitude, which is, um, you know, I think we all, gosh, you know, you learn it growing up in Sunday school or whatever, or that, you know, you should be grateful. Don't forget to be grateful. And it just uh, almost appears as a, oh, it's just one more thing you're supposed to do is just be grateful, you know, be grateful for what you have. Um, but we do it in a sort of a specific way. Uh, and one of the ways is through the power of a, a, what we call the spouse fulfilling prophecy on our campus, which is where I would take an experience I was having that I didn't want to be having. And I would just sort of flip it upside down and then find evidence for that. I'll give you an example. So um, when uh, I first started with the intimacy skills, I was really uh, unhappy with my husband's earning. I thought he could be making a lot more money than he was. And I would say to him, uh, why don't you get another job? Why don't you ask for a raise? Why don't you see if you can make more money? <laughs> and I, it was, yeah, it was awful. It was all, it's very embarrassing to say no, but really what he was hearing and rightly so was you don't make enough money. And I'm such a good manifester that uh, he stopped making any money. He quit his job and then he wasn't making any, and it's not just me. We, we all manifest what we're focusing on. And, uh, and then I was, oh, I was so resentful and I was so full of 
uh, resentment and um, about this. And, uh, and it just seemed to be the truth that he just wasn't providing. And uh, I thought, why do I need him? I just would be better off without him financially. And uh, around that time, I, uh, I learned about the process of um, kind of auto-suggestion, right? Just focusing on the experience you want to be having instead of the one that you are having. And I decided that I was going to uh, change my mantra. I realized I had this mantra of you don't make enough money, you don't make any money. I decided to say, um, you've always been a good provider. And then just for fun, I thought I'm also going to call him Mr. Moneybags. So <laughs> I would, uh, I would do that. I would say, uh, well, you know, you've always been a good provider. And I found evidence, which was that he'd always had a, a good job, uh, you know, prior to that. And, uh, and then, you know, he'd get a check in the mail and I would, I would say, Oh, look, Mr. Moneybags, you can take me out to sushi tonight or whatever. And right now, right around that time, he started his own business. He'd never had his own business before, but he started one and it was very successful. It was more successful than any of the jobs he'd been at previously. And it became my reality that he was a very good provider. And it wasn't from nagging and trying to control and criticize what he was doing. It was really from focusing on all the, the blessings that I had um, with him uh, as my husband, as a provider. So it's been quite powerful to see other women use these spouse fulfilling prophecies in a variety of areas. I had a one student uh, who uh, said her, she realized her unwitting uh, spouse fulfilling prophecy was you never want to spend time with me. And so she was uh, focusing on that. And that's, of course, what she was experiencing. And she decided she would start saying, um, I know you want to spend time with me. And one Saturday morning, they got up and she was looking forward to spending the day with her husband. And then his friend Steve called and said, do you want to go mountain biking? And the husband said, oh, yeah, that sounds great. I'll see you. And she got very upset. And uh, she said, see, you never want to spend time with me. She went back to her old mantra. And then she remembered uh, a few minutes later, oh, yeah, I was going to use my new mantra. <laughs> and so she went back in and said to him, I'm sorry, I got so upset. I know you want to spend time with me. And she left it at that. And a few minutes later, he came back in and he said, I told Steve, I can't go mountain biking with him today. And she was confused. She said, why would you do that? Why did you do that? And he goes, because I want to spend time with you. He just said, wow. Yeah. So it can work really quickly to uh, focus on what you want to experience. Wow. I love that story. That's so, so, um, you know, a typical example, isn't it? Of how just, being more aware of the words that you're saying, even in your mind, let alone out, you know, verbally loud, is so important to, to check yourself and um, then think about how you can reframe that to, yes. to get what you do want rather than what you don't want. It's almost like magic, it seems like. Did I did I miss one out? Did I? You did. Yeah, uh, sorry, well, I'm, skipped... <laughs> I, I realized. I thought. I thought, well, we'll just go with that. But uh, the number five is vulnerability, which is, uh, you know, I feel like something you'd want to avoid if you possibly could, right? Because it's uh, such a squishy, uncomfortable feeling to be vulnerable. But I've actually found that uh, by, by running through that waterfall of fear um, to the other side, uh, there's just this indescribable feeling of being loved exactly for who I am and I can't live without it anymore. And um, so we have several uh, phrases that we use to, uh, to show up vulnerably. And one of them is um, one of them is I can't, 
and I'll give you an example of this. Uh, so, so I think a lot of us were raised. I certainly was, you know, you can do whatever you want and, you know, woman power mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and that's great. And I, uh, I do whatever I want, but, uh, I can't do everything I want all the time. And sometimes I'm just a kind of a, sometimes I just fall apart. Sometimes I'm just kind of a, a chocolate mess. <laughs> and, uh, and then, uh, but I have this instinct to try to just keep appearances, right. Just hold it together make it seem like I'm doing all right when I'm really not. And, uh, it's been kind of a relief to, um, just be able to cry or, um, yeah, just need help. And, um, so one of my students has a great story about this where she, she was in the habit of, um, maybe they'd go to dinner or something. She'd drop her husband off at a friend's house. And then uh, he would call her to get a ride home later. And she would get up out of bed and she'd go and pick him up. And as part of her self-care, she started to realize, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get a, as good a night's sleep as I need to really show up as my best self. So it no longer really worked for her. So one, one night her husband said, will you drop me off at my friend's house? And she said, sure. And he said, you know, can you pick me up later? And she said, oh, I can't right? So she just knew that she couldn't do that and still be her best self. So it was shorthand for that. And he was a little surprised. Like, what do you you mean? You you can't, you always have in the past, like you're really changing this up. And, but he found his own way home that night and she got a good night's rest and he was not a burden to his wife. And then shortly thereafter, he said to her, you know, because I feel like we are experiencing intimacy on a level that, that we never have before. Yes. We've had some wonderful moments, but true intimacy is like this, this feels completely different and, and it's wonderful. And I'm just so, so grateful to you. So thankful to you um, for, for whatever it is you're doing. <laughs> I wasn't quite sure. And uh, so they'd been married for 30 years when he said this. Wow. They'd reached a new (laughs) level of intimacy and uh, her saying, I can't to sort of honor her own limits uh, was, you know, along with all the other intimacy skills and the connection framework was really contributing to him having that experience. I think it's important as well to point out, Laura, that when it comes to vulnerability, um, obviously it depends on what sort of relationship you, you were in. And if it's not safe for you to be vulnerable, in other words, if you're in a toxic volatile relationship then obviously that's a different story isn't it well you know it is but I um it's interesting you know I've had a very uh, humbling experience with some of the things I've written about um relationships where there's verbal abuse or even physical abuse or addiction uh some of these other issues that seem quite heavy quite serious and and in in some circles, they're considered unrecoverable, right? That really divorce is the right answer, you know, instead of, um, and, and what's part of what's been so humbling about it is now that tens of thousands of women all over the world have used these intimacy skills along with the connection framework to fix their marriages, many women in tumultuous relationships have done the same. Uh, I, I have a coach even who had a restraining order against her husband. I had another coach who had gone to the hospital for physical abuse. And I'm not talking about that. They just continue to suck up and endure these intolerable situations. I'm talking about how uh, these women have been able to really transform those relationships. And um, so it's interesting because I think the act of showing up with your vulnerability really invokes a sacred trust that you will be held in safe hands. No one wants to, uh, 
trample something tender and beautiful. And that's what we're really doing when we show up vulnerably. So um, it's, it's quite a, it's quite a fine line, I guess I would say, yeah. I guess uh, I would, I would not want to uh, steal the hope from uh, any woman in, in a marriage that she, you know, what we've seen over and over again, and it's been quite astonishing is that there is always hope. It's sort of like Norman Vincent Peale said, always see the possibility for it's always there. Absolutely. I think there, there is a sort of difference between probably, you know, guys who, you know, you know, if you've, if you're in a situation now, for example, um, anybody listening to this, that is a toxic unhealthy relationship you'll know deep down if your guy is a good guy you know and he's just struggling to perhaps um I suppose process all his hurts and conditioning from what he's experienced growing up as a child or in previous relationships so um it, I suppose it's acknowledging whether you know deep down this is a good guy who does want to and has the capacity to to change things for the better yeah, I think one of the interesting things is to say to, you know, for me to say to myself, have I cleaned up my side of the street? And then what does it look like? How does he appear? Because my husband seemed like such a different man after I was able to clean up my side of the street. So it, it's for me, that's the biggest question is what am I doing over here that I could do differently? How can I show up better? And then uh, do I get a better response? Do I see it? Because there's, there was a man that you fell in love with and married. And if he seems to be gone, uh, well, he's still the same man, but he's responding to you differently. And it could be that you are showing up differently as well. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent agree um, that we do need to check in with ourselves around, you know, how are we contributing to um, the situation being what it is, you know, even if that is that uh, you don't want to rock the boat, for example, because, um, you know, you've got lax boundaries. And yeah, that's a good like walking on eggshells is kind of a form of control still, right? There's that you're trying to control his reaction, um, which is always based out of fear. And fear is not the same as faith. And when we choose our faith, all of a sudden things look very different. That's a very good point because, you know, a lot of my teaching is around, you know, um, checking in with yourself and asking yourself, are you coming from a place of love and abundance? Or are you coming from a place of fear and lack? You know, and if it's around fear and lack, then, you know, then you're in your head, you're in that ego mind state, which is then contributing to probably whatever negative uh, repeat pattern is happening in your relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so interesting, isn't it? Relationships are so much we could discuss. They're endlessly fascinating. Yes, absolutely. So on that note, Laura, um, I'd love you to share what is your best um, contact information for our audience to be able to get in touch with you. Yeah, we have something pretty fun going on right now. We have the Adored Wife Roadmap which lays out the six, six steps. And also the three mistakes that a lot of women are making in trying to get their husband's time, attention, and affection, like I was making. And uh, you can get that for free at lauradoyle.org. 
You just go there and download the free Adored Wife Roadmap. Well, thank you so much for that. It's a lovely gift for our beautiful, beautiful audience to connect with you and to receive from you. So any final words that you'd like to leave the audience with, Laura? Well, just that if there's, uh, if they have the desire, to, if you, you know, if you want to dive deeper into these six intimacy skills, they are all laid out step by step in my book, The Empowered Wife. Uh, and it's something I, I'm on a mission to end world divorce. So I want every woman to get those skills in their hands as, you know, as thoroughly as possible. And uh, so, yeah, that's where you can do it. Excellent. Thank you so much, Laura. It's been fascinating catching up with you again. And so, so interesting that you've really managed to express so clearly, you know, your, your powerful words of wisdom to the audience and, and give them some tips and hints and guidance that they can implement straight away to improve their relationships. Oh, it's been my absolute pleasure, Lynn. Thanks for the opportunity. So on that note, audience, I'm just going to leave you with True Love Starts with Opening Our Hearts. And until next time, goodbye for now. Thanks for listening to the Hearts Entwined podcast. You can follow Lynn via the Facebook group Two Hearts Entwined or search Lynn Smith, inspirational speaker at LinkedIn or email lynn at hearts-entwined.com. That's L-Y-N at hearts-entwined.com. Remember, true love starts with opening our hearts.